Welcome to the Retire Right Podcast with Larry Heller. You deserve complete financial advice. There's no acceptable alternative if you want a plan to live well and on your terms. Complete financial advice equals complete peace of mind. Now, let's get into this week's podcast episode. Hello and welcome to Retire Right with Larry Heller from Heller Wealth Management. Today, we're going to be talking about elder law, and uh, which I actually find this very, very fascinating. There's there's too many things being done to the elder population that is, is a concern to me, and, and Larry has brought in a special guest, and that is Brian Tully. And Brian Tully is the founder of Tully Law PC. He is certified as an elder law attorney and has been practicing elder care law and estate planning since 1998. He was inspired by his own family's caregiving and aging challenges and entered the field of elder care right after law school. He has advocated for and helped caregivers and their aging parents ever since. His mission is to help elders get the best care and protect the most assets possible without losing their peace of mind. Tully Law offers a comprehensive service called life care planning, which combines asset protection, Medicaid planning and applications, care coordination, nursing home advocacy, and crisis intervention. The firm also provides traditional elder law, estate planning, special needs planning, probate and trust administrative services. Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you? I'm doing great, Eric. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for bringing Brian in. Brian, hello. How are you? I'm very good. How are you? Thank you. Uh, it's nice to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, I truly am looking forward to this. I've, I've had some family members that have gone through quite an ordeal, and what you do is very important. So I, I appreciate you being here. Larry, why is this such an important topic for you to cover in this podcast? Well, you know, as, as our clients and actually as the population aging ages, we're seeing more and more issues and more and more of need to do elder, you know, elder law planning. So I thought it'd be a great topic to bring Brian in and talk about it. Love it. All right. I'll let you guys get to it. I'm here to learn. Great. Great. Thank you. So Brian, why don't we start with a very simple question? You know, is elder law, elder care, however you want to say it, different than estate planning? Well, it's a great question to start with, and, and it is. Estate planning has been around for a number of years. It, it's the process of making sure your assets are planned for, typically when you pass away. However, the, the, the growing population, the aging population throughout the years has allowed this subset of, of laws and regulations to, to grow since about the 70s and 80s. So it, it, is a, it is a subset of estate planning, yes. So what do you, what do you mean by elder law is really elder Care. Well, uh, good point. Um, the The reality is that elder law exists uh, based on the laws to to uh, as seniors grow in age, all of the laws that come to intersect, whether it's real property law, tax law, social security, inheritance law, it all comes together. So elder law is what it is. However, the way that we practice is we focus tremendously on the care needs. So the the phrase elder care is a little more appropriate. It's the aging and the care needs that folks need to plan and prepare for, and that's what we help them do. So so give us, you know, a a, a kind of an example. I mean, is clients or coming to you after they've already had an illness or are they doing the planning, bef- 
you know, way before this. Talk about that a little bit. It's all the above. The ideal is that folks will come in and actually have a plan in place similar to what you do so that you can look forward, have that vision as to what your retirement will be like. What we encourage folks to do is sit down and look at the future and their potential aging needs and aging concerns. So there's a continuum. We like folks to plan at a certain age. We like folks to protect assets within that plan as they get older. And then we'll always have those folks that walk in the door at the last minute when the care needs are already knocking. So we wish folks would do it in advance, but there are always those folks that come in when the needs are there, and then it's a, it's, it's a crisis situation. Yeah, so well, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more in a few minutes, but why don't we start with, you know, how did you, how did you uh, come to be an elder law attorney? Thank you for asking that. So it was, it was, a, it was a natural progression. The, the bottom line is I got my, my education was in criminal justice. I was going to be a police officer. That was my goal. Mm. However, my dad's dad, my grandfather, Andrew Tully, was an attorney himself. And when I was in college, um, he sat me down. He and grandma sat me down about 19, 20 years of age and thought that I should be the lawyer among the grandkids at that point in time is the way he put it. And my dad was from 11, so there was about 20 grandkids at that point, and wow. it really it blew me away. It really, as teenagers and college kids go, I was doing the traditional stuff, but this really helped me focus on what my future could be. So I became a lawyer because of my grandfather. However, what I didn't realize until I got to law school was that there was this specialty of elder law or elder care, and that really hit me because I grew up next door to my mother's parents, and it was my Tina and my pop-up right next door that I saw every day. Um, it was those, it was that grandma and grandpa, Tina and pop-up next door that you know helped in different situations throughout the years that that we celebrated with, that we lived all the time with. However, Tina went through tremendous health issues for the for the last 50 years of her life. I mean, losing half of her larynx back in the 1950s through throat cancer. And I'd say every seven, eight years, there was another major cancer operation. And each time that occurred, as you could imagine, um, she turned a little more frail and a little bit older. And it was basically from about 10 years of age until uh, my early 30s, where all uh, four of my grandparents went through all of their care issues. And on my dad's side, I saw him and his 10 siblings doing what they could. On my mom's side, I saw her and her sister who lived down in Florida. So she was involved, but wasn't able to be there all the time. So I saw a lot of children helping. I saw one child helping. And the combined issues that, that my grandparents went through with the aging concerns from the, the walkers to the aides in the house to the hospice discussions to all that we endure as we age to what the children as caregivers went through. And when you put all that together and me going through law school and learning about elder law, it really just became a natural progression. And I, the, the reality that I could help other grandparents and I can help other caregiver children uh, was just something I jumped all over and I've been doing it ever since. No, that, that's that's great. So, you know, so for our listeners out there, you know, let's just take a step back and sure. we'll, we'll talk a little bit about, you know, the differences. I mean, you know, on, Fortunately, you know, years past, you know, my mom went through all the different levels. So I quickly learned the differences between needing care at the home mm -hmm. and then care in an assisted living facility. And then mm -hmm. she finally had needed care in a nursing home. So I did get my education on this a little bit, you know, from a personal situation. So when we talk about 
you talk about elder law, are you, you addressing one of those areas, all those areas? It's all those areas. It's, it's the, what we call the elder care continuum, right in our conference room, and we talk about it during our meetings with our clients. There is a continuum from when there is minimal or really no functional incapacity or, or mental incapacity, and then it progresses from there, from needing some help to needing more help, requiring more help. So that whole transition process is something that every family is going to endure, our job, one of our missions, I think, is to help the family stay at home as long as possible. But yes, there come time. There can come a time when an assisted living would be appropriate, and they serve a wonderful purpose. They're not for everybody, but they serve a great purpose for that client. And then, yes, a nursing home can become required as well. Most folks come in and say, I'd say 99%, I don't want a nursing home, just don't let that happen to me. But sometimes it's required. You know, there are medical issues, issues and that perfect storm, if you will, that can occur that will, rec that will force that nursing home. So it really is everything from home to nursing home and, and to hospice. That's the whole continuum that we're involved with. So you're, you're planning both the, uh, for the care side and then also the asset protection side? Right. The the traditional elder law attorney focuses on what I call the documents and the dollars. They'll do the wills, the trust, the powers of attorney, and of course we do all that as well. But since 2005, 2006, my purpose has been really focusing on the care side of it. So our perspective is helping somebody plan for care. Yes, we'll do the documents, we'll have the asset protection in place, we'll do that. Very honestly, that's the simple stuff. Helping families endure the aging transitions and dealing with those concerns are where the real complicated work comes into place, which is where I, why I have different specialists on staff. I have a geriatric social worker on staff. I have a board-certified patient advocate on staff. So we, we as the attorneys, um, work very well with them and the families through the whole aging process. Yeah, so talk about the care a little bit you know, more. I mean, for somebody... You know, it's either going through this with a spouse or a, a parent. You know, what kind of care, what do you mean by elder, you know, care? Great question. There has been the occasional client that'll walk in that's not familiar with this. The vast majority of folks walk in knowing about it because they've lived it through a, a parent or a spouse or, or other uh, a loved one. The way I explain it to folks is as we get older, there, there's two sides to it. We can have medical issues or we can have um, health issues that are medical in nature, such as the cancers and the heart disease and the diabetes and, and, and so forth. Those are medical in nature. Doctors are involved. It involves hospitals, doctors, the emergency room, rehabilitation facilities. Because it's medical in nature, Medicare is covering it. You have health insurance that you've paid through your whole life to be there to pay for that type of care. On the other side of the coin, however, you're going to have the, the, the older person, perhaps, that just needs help getting out of bed, walking to the bathroom, using the bathroom. Everything we do every morning, if somebody needs help with those needs, they're not medical. They're custodial or chronic or even long-term care, it's called. So if, if you're afflicted with, it, with, with a condition that requires assistance with those, what we call activities of daily living, that's long-term care. And it's those types of issues that we help people plan and protect so that we can use different benefits or, or, or services to cover that type of assistance. Mm. So and I'm sure the kids are involved and, you know, can they help mom get the, you know, good care or can't families do this themselves? 
So in that continuum, there's always a time and a place for children to do all they can, and, and they do. You know, we, we've, we've met some of the most amazing children and spouse caregivers as well, and they do all they can, especially in the beginning. Um, there does usually come a time, however, where there, there is a need for more of a professional level of caregiving. Where we come in is, again, looking at the documents and, and the dollars and making sure everything's in place. But you want to make sure that mom or dad, your loved one, is getting the best care possible. And that's where the advocacy and the coordination comes in. I do share the story on occasion where we've sat with, we sat with, uh, with three sisters, three daughters, and um, we had proposed services to help them with the advocacy and the coordination, what we call life care planning. And during that consultation, they were comfortable in saying, you know what? Sister two is a nurse. She'll be more than more than adequate and able to oversee the care and make sure mom's being taken. Um, and we left it at that. We understood, and and that's what the family wanted as far as service goes. However, and unfortunately, they came back in about five months later, and and the reality set in that there's only so much nurse daughter can do. She has her own career, her own family, and she wasn't able to be as involved as she needed to be despite all of her efforts. And mom ended up with close to 10 different bed sores developing through the years, uh, forgive me, through the months. And not that we could have prevented that, but we would have been another level of, of, of attention and, and intervening between the facility and mom. And when we're there and, and my social worker shows up with the law firm card saying, I'm here to see Mrs. Smith, there is a level of attention that's paid in that scenario. And then you have my staff um, interacting with social workers, nurses, and doctors, ensuring and doing the best they can. And again, not that we could have prevented that, but we would have been able to at least hopefully intervene before it got so bad. So the children are certainly there, they're necessary, and they, it's their blood, sweat, and tears that make this all happen. But there does come a time when professional advocacy should should be put into place. And very interesting. So like you said, you have the staff members to really do this. So yeah. Somebody comes in, they, they I guess you have somebody do an evaluation. Can you go through the process? Sure, sure. So when we're working with a family, and depending on what where they are in the continuum, if we're engaged for the life care planning service, then one of the first things we have to do is send out our, our social worker, what we call an elder care coordinator, to visit with mom or dad, hopefully still at the home at that point in time. And then there's a several point assessment that's done so that we can have a baseline. And then we're, we're involved with this service over time. It's not one and done. It's not transactional. We're there to help the family through the ups and the downs, through the, 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 the fall and the emergency room and the rehab and the discharge home. So they will be there along the way. And then we have the attorneys. Uh, I have three attorneys that work with me on these matters. And they're there guiding on the legal side. But it's really those advocates that are guiding and navigating through the process. Hmm. You know, great stuff out there on the elder care side. Let's kind of go back and talk a little bit more about, you know, kind of the asset protection side sure. and what, you know, what can you do? Because a lot of people you've mentioned before that, you know, you have Medicare and a lot of people think a lot of these so-called costs for long-term care are covered and they're surprised that they're not covered and they can become very expensive. Yeah. And especially if there's you know, both spouses are alive, you know, it could really have a financial impact on the family. So, you know, what are some of the things that you, you know, that you can do? Sure. Um, bottom line is about 75%, 70% of those over 65 are going to need some type of long-term care, whether that's a week's worth or 10 years worth. And so what we what we try to do is help families prepare and plan for that. 
when it comes to actual long-term care services, there, there's four different ways that that can be paid. Um, number one, a family can certainly use their own cash. And when I'm talking about long-term care services, typically it's an aide coming into the house to help on a daily basis or the extreme opposite, which is the nursing facility. Home care in downstate New York, you're looking at about $25 an hour, can roughly be $2,000 a week for round-the-clock seven-day care. A nursing, which is uh, $8,000, $10,000 a month. A nursing home can be upwards of fifteen dollars to $20,000 a month on Long Island or New York City. So those types of cares, are at, they build up very, very fast. And even if you have a good nest egg, this will go through it very fast. And, and you know retirement planning and you know what how important it is for folks to actually keep those assets in place for as long as possible. So using personal cash is something that is a, it's something where people start out doing in this in, informal process of care. But as care becomes more formalized, the cash option usually isn't too realistic. The second way is through long-term care insurance. And if a client was fortunate enough to purchase a long-term care policy, that's great. Number two they need to have purchased a policy that was sufficient or robust enough. A lot of folks were sitting, a lot of times we're sitting with folks where they'll have a long-term care policy, but it doesn't necessarily have a, enough daily benefit to cover a home care or a facility. So that's the second way to pay. I'd say maybe 10 to 20% of our clients have any type of long-term care in place insurance. Then you have Medicare. Now, Medicare can't be relied on on this long-term care side because of what I said earlier. It's not medically necessary. So Medicare will be involved for what's called intermittent care after a discharge from a facility. But the fourth way and the most common way to pay for long-term care is what's called Medicaid. So Medicaid is, is the sister program to Medicare. It is the poverty-level program that people think about. However, it's, it's, it's a different arm, all right? It's what's called the long-term care program. And long-term care has, long-term care Medicaid has a home care or community-based program, and they have a nursing home or what they call a chronic care program. And everything Medicaid-wise is about your assets, your income, and your health. So if you want Medicaid to pay, we have to play by those rules, and, and those rules allow us to do certain things to make a person, make a client financially eligible. Everything we do is well within you know, federal and, and state law, and, and we're able to help make that client eligible on the financial side, as well as on the income side. There's a lot of depth there. We could spend a couple hours talking about the different ways to do it. The number one way that we're able to shelter assets to make a family or an individual eligible for Medicaid is through the use of an irrevocable trust. That's the most flexible tool that we have, the most comprehensive tool that we have, and it, it, it fits in almost every situation. Hmm. So I just want to question our listeners out there. We're, we're basically talking about New York law. So the Medicaid rules do differ from state by, you know, state by state. Right. And, and the one thing that I hear a lot of times when we start talking about that are people saying, well, I don't want to go on Medicaid because the Medicaid nursing homes are the worst. They're terrible out there. Yeah. Can you address that? Uh, sure, I'd be happy to. And it, it's it's 100% incorrect, at least in our neck of the woods. I'd say within the tri-state area, it's probably that way. The And, and I, I share with people, there are so many care providers on, on Long Island and in the New York area that every facility is, is going to be a Medicare, Medicaid licensed certified facility. And I joke about it, but it's true. There is no separate wing in a nursing home for Medicaid recipients. The, the beds aren't lumpy. The food isn't bad. The sheets aren't worn through. 
it is the same exact beds, the same exact food, the same exact care as a private pay resident. I've had, and I tell this story at my seminars, I've had clients, uh, I had one gentleman insist on paying for his wife in a nursing home. And, and as noble as that was, he's the only one in 22 years of doing this who insisted on that. He had the financial wherewithal to do it. But I know for a fact there were other people near where his wife was staying on that floor in that wing that were actually on Medicaid. So the, the only people that know Medicaid is paying is the business office. The, 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 the aides, the nurses, the doctors, they don't know. And in fact, because Medicaid is so prevalent, the vast majority of folks in facilities are being paid for by Medicaid. So it, just so everyone's clear then, so when you're applying for a nursing home, they don't have r different admission process if whether you're PAPE or if whether you're a Medicaid. They're not supposed to. <laughs> you know, the, the saying that has been around for a long time is cash is king. So facilities are not allowed to discriminate between a Medicaid recipient and, and a private pay recipient. Right. I know when my mom went into the nursing home, we actually were concerned about that. So we yeah. went in the first month as a... Private pay. pay. As a private pay, and once we were there, oh, we now applied to Medicaid. That, that's a way to do it. And our, our, care, was, our care was the same. It was no, diff, right. no difference if you were private pay or, or not. Good. So as the babies boomers are aging, I'm seeing more attorneys saying they are doing elder law. You know, are they all the same and doing the same thing? Good observation. The, the reality is that the boomers are aging, and as businesses see that opportunity, you just turn on the TV and you will see everything from in insurance brokers with Medicare and long-term. You'll see the, the ramps for houses. You'll see the, you know, the chairs going up the stairs. The market is there. The demographics are there. And the law is not immune to that. So you, will, you do have more and more attorneys saying they're doing elder law. The concern with that is that Attorney, not every attorney is going to be as experienced as as all the other attorneys. So there, there's a, a host of us that are what are called certified elder law attorneys, and there's a number of us on Long Island, which means that we've we've practiced for X amount of years, we've seen X amount of clients, and we've taken a board exam. And that certification is an ABA, an American Bar Association approved certification. Now, that doesn't mean we're the only ones that know elder law. There are plenty of elder law attorneys that are not certified, yet they're very experienced and good. My concern is that you have an attorney that says, I do bankruptcy and personal injury. Oh, and I also do elder law. I call that part-time elder law, and there's a danger there. There's a risk there. I have 13 on my staff, and all we do is elder law. And very honestly, there's not enough time in the day. So the, the concern is if there's a part-time attorney out there, if you will, addressing elder law issues, they're going to miss something. By way of an example, the number one document that, that we need clients to have done correctly is what's called a durable what I call durable modified power of attorney. A very crucial document. It allows somebody to appoint an agent to assist with all their legal and financial matters if they should lose capacity. And without that type of a document in place, the family can be forced into a guardianship proceeding, which is months on end and anywhere from five to ten to fifteen thousand dollars worth of, of, of time. And it's not something you have to endure as long as you've got the right durable modified power of attorney in place. At least once a week, we're sitting with a family. And just yesterday, I was giving a seminar, and a woman came up to me at the end of it with her mom's power of attorney, and it was done incorrectly. So once a week, we're sitting with families, sitting with individuals, and they bring in the power of attorney thinking they're covered. And the reality is, is that that power of attorney is missing language. And if, it's, if the proper power of attorney isn't in place, we're going to run into problems down the road. 
And that's where we're seeing problems. These attorneys are doing powers of attorney that are missing the right language. Mm. Interesting. So we're in the beginning of the holiday season, you know, so any tips or advice for families as they start to get together? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So if, if you're going to mom or dad's house for, for the holidays, engage in conversation. Um, if you're in their home, take a look around. Do you have mail piling up? Do you have bills piling up? Is there more medications in the in the cupboard or in the in the kitchen that, that there were before? Are the bottles all full or the bottle or bottles all empty? What's the what's the home looking like? The environment um, is is dad walking a little bit slower? Is there a little shuffle there as he's walking? If that's the case, get rid of the area rugs. You want to make sure that there's no trip hazards around. Do the best you can to check that out. An obvious thing to look at is is mom or dad uh, dressing appropriately. We, I remember, and I use it as an example, we had a client come in a number of years ago in the summer and she was wearing a Christmas sweater with reindeers on it. First of all, it was summer. <laughs> Second of all, it wasn't Christmas. <laughs> so there, there are things to look out for. If they're coming to your home, same type of things. Obviously, you're not going to be able to look at the, the home, the environment, but engage in conversation, of course. Talk to them. It's a great opportunity to say, Mom, Dad, we're, we're getting older. I, I always give the, the, the advice, you know, say that you heard a podcast or you have a friend going through something. Bring up the issue of aging and, and making sure they're protected and making sure they're covered. There's a concern that, that when children ask these questions that, that Mom and Dad are going to get offended and think you're just after the money. It all depends how you do it. it it's the tone. It's the, it's the expression. It's more of a concern for them, which is where it's coming from. So don't make it all about the money. Make it about we're, we're concerned about you, mom or dad, what's going on. Have you, have you spoken with an elder law attorney? Have you gotten your, your, your plans in place? It, it's always a good time to have that conversation, probably after dinner. <laughs> <laughs> great, great <laughs> ideas. So, you know, finally, Brian, you know, what's the one thing you want to listen to come away with today? The one thing that is crucial that, that I try to convey at all of my talks and with the clients is timing is everything, is, as it is with your field. Um, and the concept of planning in advance is crucial. The, the ability to plan in advance gives a family, number one, time. It means that there's going to be an ability to have choices. There's going to be options. When there's a crisis thrust upon somebody, there's always more stress. There's always more cost. There's always less options. So a crisis is what we want folks to avoid. And again, when we're, when we're able to do this in advance, things will cost less. There'll be more options. There'll be less stress. You can make better decisions. So the number one thing, if, if, if uh, your listeners can take away from this conversation, is plan in advance, know where you're headed, and always try to stay a couple steps ahead of the curve. All great ideas and suggestions. Um, you know, we've covered a lot today, but we've only, you know, talked about, you know, the tip of the iceberg and some right. things. So if you'd like more information, please check out Brian's website at tullyelderlaw.com or to speak with him or his office, you know, reach out to him at 631-424-2800. Brian, thanks. That was, that was great and, and a lot of information for our listeners. Thank you, Larry. It's my pleasure. Brian, thank you so much. Uh, Larry, thank, thank you, you so much for bringing Brian in. But Brian, I, I really I love the fact that you, you spoke about how to have that conversation with Good. aging parents. Um, I know that Larry and I have talked about that on the podcast before, as far as how Good. to have conversations that may be a little bit touchy. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I, I love the fact that you're available to people to talk about that. I know Larry uh, is as well. He's he said that before. 
Um, so again, guys, thank you so much. I learned a lot and I hope that our audience did too. Great. Thank you very much. You bet. And thank you all for listening to the Retire Right Podcast with Larry Heller. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Larry comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. And this is the exact situation. Share this podcast with your parents. Share this podcast with your friends who have aging parents and just say, hey, look, here's a couple of gentlemen that you really need to listen to. They've got some really good ideas and uh, they're more than willing to share them with you. Uh, again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Heller Wealth Management, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time.